So 1 Samuel chapter 10, and we begin at the 17th verse. This is God's inerrant and infallible word. Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God, who saves you out of all your calamities and distresses. And you have said, no, set a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. When Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin clan by clan, and Matri's clan was chosen. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, Yes, he has hidden himself among the baggage. They ran and brought him out, and as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, Long live the king! Samuel explained to the people the regulations of the kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people, each to his own home. Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. But some troublemakers said, How can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts. But Saul kept silent. And that's as far as we read this morning in God's holy word. On Thursday afternoon of this past week, a citizenship ceremony was delayed following the death of Queen Elizabeth II that morning. And in light of the Queen's death, the ceremony then ended with the presiding judge, followed by the 141 new Canadian citizens, saying this, The queen is dead. Long live the king. The queen is dead. Long live the king. You know, even though close to a thousand people die in Canada every day, the death of Queen Elizabeth II on Thursday was historic and significant. 
But beyond the historical and the political, I hope the death of the Queen and the proclamation of King Charles III will be for us this morning something that by hearing God's Word teaches us and helps us as Christians. As we think about those words biblically, long live the King. Words that are found in our text this morning in 1 Samuel 10 verse 24. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. And the people shouted, Long live the king. Now the king in this case, of course, was Israel's first king, Saul. And the people in saying, Long live the king, are desiring blessing for Saul, blessing for the king himself. A long life of peace and prosperity. But they also, no doubt, were desiring also the peace and prosperity that would come to them if their king was blessed. You remember in the case of the first king, Saul, the people wanted a king out of a wrong heart and a wrong desire just to be like the nations around them, looking to a human being to save them from their enemies. And even though they wanted a king out of a wrong desire, God gave them what they wanted. 1 Samuel 8, So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. All the harsh and wicked things their kings would do and that they would have to experience is listed in verses 10 through 18 of 1 Samuel 8. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. And the Lord will not answer you in that day. That's the context of the first king of Israel. There's a great practical lesson for us there, and it's a solemn lesson and a warning that God sometimes in his providence gives us what we want, even when that want or desire is not good or right. That's a solemn thing. We need to be very careful when we think about the providence of God and not think of it on a superficial way, in a superficial way, but always in light of the Word of God and His revealed will for us. God sometimes gives us what we want, even out of a wrong desire, as he disciplines us 
and warns us and sometimes has to teach us the hard way. The Lord was their king, and they wanted more. They wanted a king like the nations around them, and so Saul was appointed. Now, Saul himself was very impressive, outwardly, at least. First Samuel 9, 2, Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome as a young man uh, as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. Very striking and impressive outwardly. But inwardly, he was not kingly. They inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he's hidden himself among the supplies. Later, Samuel would say to Saul in 1 Samuel 15, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So here we have this this tension, as it were, this problem when we read about these earthly kings of Israel. Long live the king on the one hand. Looking to a king to save and deliver and help and bless. But then 1 Samuel 10, 27, on the other hand, spoken by troublemakers, yet ultimately true, they prophesied in spite of themselves, how can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts. How can he save us? How can he even save himself? Long live the king. But one day death rules over every king and every other person alike. Psalm 39, 5. Behold, you have made my days as a handbreadth and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at best is a mere breath. Long live the king. Great hopes for peace and prosperity and blessing. But how can this fellow save us? Having a crown doesn't cover sin or prevent death. When we read these words here in the context and all that it involves of Saul, first king of Israel, long live the king. We have to go beyond Saul. We even have to go beyond David, the great king of Israel, the man after God's own heart. And we have to go to great David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Long live the king. When we hear those words, our mind should always go to Christ. Whatever else it involves in the day, whatever else it involved in the day of Saul, whatever else it involves now at a citizenship ceremony when people say the queen is dead, long live the king, our minds need to go to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a blessing that there is a king of kings and a Lord of lords for his people. The Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, eternal God the Son, who was born of a woman and born under the law to redeem those who were under the curse of the law, to deliver not just from earthly enemies, but from the last enemy, 
death. The one whom the Magi came to worship, where is the one born king of the Jews? He was king, he is king, and yet he's born in humiliation. Because even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The Lord of glory, numbered with the transgressors and crucified, dead and buried. Dead and buried, yet raised again gloriously on the third day according to the Scriptures. Psalm 21, the king rejoices in your strength, Lord. How great is his joy in the victories you give. You granted him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. You came to greet him with rich blessings and placed a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked you for life and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. The victories, through the victories you gave, his glory is great, and you have bestowed on him splendor and majesty. You see, I hope that whenever an earthly king or queen dies, we would think about the king who lives never to die again. Revelation 1, John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. God raised him up from the dead, Acts 2, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And Romans 1.4, who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Long live the King. Our glorious King is alive, never to die. He lives eternally to rule and to reign and to save his people. Long live the King. Oh, how we should say that in worship and praise and gratitude as we think of the Lord Jesus Christ and his glorious resurrection from the dead. This morning, I just want to briefly touch on a few points from Scripture of the benefits that we have as the subjects of such a glorious King, the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the blessing in light of his resurrected reign and rule. We have the blessing of his presence, his presence. Do you remember he says at the end of Matthew's gospel, all power and authority has been given to me. And then he gives the great commission to the church and he ends that great commission, you remember, by saying, and behold, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Queen Elizabeth II is no longer with us. But Jesus says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Elizabeth was our queen. Charles is now our king. But really, practically, actually, I'll never be with him or he with me. But by 
the Spirit, the living Lord Jesus, is with us. By faith, he dwells in the hearts of his people. Our living king is with us. He's with you as a Christian. He's with our congregation as part of the Christian church. He's with us. Our risen, victorious, glorious, all-powerful, sovereign king. I think we know that and we answer yes to the question, uh, is this true? But how much is that belief translated practically into our lives, into your life? What difference will it make to you this week that the King of kings and the Lord of lords is with you wherever you go? Where wouldn't you go if Jesus was with you? Anywhere in the world to do his will. What wouldn't you do for him who gave himself for you? If by faith you were more assured that he is with you wherever you are, how would that change your life? How should it change your life? What fears should be vanquished by his presence? Take your fears. We all have them. Some are more legitimate than others. But you put your fear in the way scale with the resurrected King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And how does that weigh out? What shameful sins should be put to death in light of his presence? The King is with you wherever you go, wherever you are, when we're alone, when no one else is there, King Jesus is. And what joy and worship every day should be kindled as we live in his presence. When we wake up in the morning, as soon as we open our eyes, who's with us? The King of kings and the Lord of lords. We have his presence. Long live the King. We also, according to the scripture, have his prayers. His prayers. This was read in Hebrews 7 this morning. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. What a reality. What a comfort. What a hope. Christ, our king, is at the same time, and this is the the heart of Hebrews 7 there, is our living high priest. He offered once for all the sacrifice of himself, and now he ever lives doing, performing the other great work of a priest. He completed the work of sacrifice, and now he continues, based on that sacrifice, to pray for his people. Have you ever said to someone, I'll pray for you? They've been talking about things maybe after worship on a Sunday and some things going on in your life. You say, well, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for that. 
but maybe you forgot. Or it didn't last very long. Jesus, the good shepherd, knows his sheep and is constantly praying for them. And when Jesus the King prays for his people, he always prays the best prayers, the most loving prayers, the wisest prayers, the most effectual prayers. I can't say that of my prayer life, but I can say it of his. And he ever lives to intercede for his people, that you would be saved to the uttermost. And that word has two senses, saved completely and saved eternally. Jesus, your king, is praying, long live the king. Thirdly, we have the promise of his protection, his protection. 1 Corinthians 15, 25 says of Jesus, for he must reign. And that is in the present tense. We could translate, he must continue to reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The shorter catechism reminds us, according to the Bible, that Christ executes the office of king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. This is what your king is doing, the king of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is protecting you. And that means that in the Christian life, you face no enemy on your own. You never fight the battle of the Christian life on your own. Jesus has gone before you and is with you. And he is restraining, thank God, and will conquer all of his and our enemies. And what a great comfort and what a great encouragement that is. We never fight. We ought never to fight the, Christ, the battle of the Christian life without the knowledge of the ultimate victory of Jesus Christ. He must continue to reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. We know that one day will be true and accomplished. Kids, let me ask you this. I don't know if you play baseball, but you can imagine if you don't. If you were playing baseball and somehow you knew, somehow, this is just a story, an example, but somehow you knew that your team would win. Somehow it was revealed to you that your team would win. Even if you were down by 20 runs in the middle of the ninth inning, wouldn't you keep playing? Wouldn't you keep going to bat? Wouldn't you keep running the bases? Of course you would. Knowledge of victory breeds zeal and enthusiasm and confidence in our labors. Sometimes it's hard to go up to bat again and again 
and again. And it feels like you're just striking out again and again and again. Sometimes it's hard to keep running. But he must continue to reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. He is the king who has said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Christ is our living king, and he will conquer. He will conquer all his and our enemies, even the last enemy, death. And in light of his continuing to reign, we look lastly and fourthly at his parousia, or his parousia, which is the Greek word that's used for his second coming, his coming again to be with us. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way as you have seen him go into heaven. God's word in Acts 17 says, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Christ is risen from the dead, ascended into heaven. He's coming again. He's coming again. Long live the king. He's coming to raise from the dead. He's coming to judge all people. He's coming to vindicate his people and to glorify them and to usher them into the new heavens and the new earth. Long live the king. Jesus is the king. That's not up for debate. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Psalm 2, God has appointed his king to reign. He has installed his king in Zion. Christ is king. Now the question for all of us this morning is, Who are we? Are you a willing or unwilling subject of King Jesus? It's one or the other. No one can get out from underneath the sovereign kingship of Jesus. But are you a willing, loving subject or an unwilling, fist-shaking at heaven subject? Why do heathen nations rage? And their useless plots design. Let us break their cords, they say. It's very solemn. I think some of the most solemn words in the Bible are what Jesus taught by parable in Luke 19, 27, when at the end of that he says, But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, 
bring them here and kill them in front of me. I tremble at those words. But by God's grace, those who look to the crucified, risen Lord Jesus Christ are saved. The Bible says that they, being born again, have crossed over from death to life. They enjoy the benefits of the work of Christ and the kingdom of Christ, and they long for his appearing. Are you his willing subject this morning? Jesus Christ is king. You may know that. You may know the fact you, you may know facts, like Charles III is, is the king. Do you know him? Does he know you? Well, infinitely, no, not in, only God is in it. Much, 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 much more importantly than that. Do you know Jesus? Do you yourself know Jesus? And you know him savingly and personally. You know, there's an old story that's circulating again now. It's from, I think, probably about 15, 16 years ago. Told by Richard Griffin, who was, uh, who was a royal protection officer who served Queen Elizabeth. And he says on one occasion, the queen, Richard uh, Griffin, was out on a hike uh, in the hills of Scotland. Uh, just close to her castle in Balmoral. And they were out for a hike together, and they met on the, on the trail some American tourists. And they started to talk about things. The queen asked, where do you live? And they told America, da, da, da. And then obviously the question came back, well, where do you live? And the queen said, well, I live in London, but I have a holiday home just over the hills there. And they asked, well, how long have you been coming to your holiday home. And she said, well, about 80 years. And they said, well, over that many years, you must have met the queen then. And she so quickly responded, well, I haven't, but Dick here has. And they asked Dick, Richard, what's she like? And he said, well, she can be cantankerous at times, but she has a wonderful sense of humor. To which they responded, can we get a picture with you, Richard, the one who had met the queen? They wanted a picture with him, and the queen obliged, took a picture of them together. But then, of course, Richard took a picture of them with the queen as well and said, I wonder what their friends said when they got home and showed the picture of the one they thought was so important, and then the picture of them with the queen. And I thought of that, and I thought how true that is often of people, and how sad it can be. We can know about Jesus. We can meet people who know Jesus, and just love to hear about that experience. And we could be looking to them in one way or another, and ourselves not knowing him. I pray that that wouldn't be true of anyone here this morning.
that in God's grace we would meet the King and that we would know him or even more be known by him and that we would love him and worship him and serve him so that no one would be like those tourists who later must have so regretted that they were so close to the queen and it was lost on them. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Long live the king and long live all who trust in him. That's what we should pray for Charles, that he would trust in the king. Are you his loving, believing subject today? Then keep trusting him. Keep worshiping him. Kiss the son. And keep obeying him. Live your life asking, what does my king want me to do? Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. And then the people shouted, Long live the king.